0: All right, welcome to the Lakers Outsiders podcast. Uh, today, I am joined by Rob Schaefer of NBA Chicago. You can find him there hosting episodes of the Bulls Talk podcast. Uh, Rob, a few things to start. One, thank you, of course, for joining me. Uh, two, how are you doing? And then three, I'm glad you're kind of moving up in the NBA world by uh, going from talking to Scottie Pippen on a podcast to uh, yeah. to then talk to me.
1: Yeah, no, no. Um... Th- thanks for having me, Donnie. Uh, it, it's it's always you know dead period of the off season, so it's always good to find an excuse to talk hoops one way or the other, find a bull's angle to uh, to attack. Um, but yeah, good. Th- th- thanks for listening to that uh, that Scotty thing. That was uh, that was that was actually a pretty rare experience for me and a and a fun one. Um, but I'll, I'll 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 take this as a as a step up, no matter how things get. Uh, basketball-wise, in Lakerland, uh, you guys always keep it interesting. So I, I still I still feel the, the bright lights a little bit even here.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm uh, I'm sure you and a lot of Bulls fans are very appreciative of the Lakers for um, letting one Alex Caruso go, uh, which we'll probably get into him later. But yeah, I wanted to have you on to discuss uh, new Laker signee Troy Brown Jr. Uh, he played the past season with the Bulls. I then played correct me if I'm wrong, the second half, well, whatever the second half amounts to after the trade deadline of the previous season, uh, traded them from the Wizards. And I myself, I'm pretty excited about him. I feel like he's kind of getting glossed over with the Lakers other signings. Not that they're really splash or anything, but uh, I feel like people take a liking more to like a Juan Toscano Anderson uh, compared to like a Troy, Troy Brown Jr. But yeah, like I said, just kind of wanted to pick your brain. Uh, so first, I kind of want to ask what Brown does well uh, for the Bulls and what he could be doing well for the Lakers.
1: Yeah, so so you mentioned it. He did come over in a trade at the deadline of the 2020-21 season. Uh, that was when the Bulls got Nikola Vucevic in that big deal, two draft picks going out, Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr. It, it was an ancillary deal to that, and they got back Troy Javante Green and Daniel Tice in exchange for Daniel Gafford, Chandler Hutchison. I think Luke Cornett went out in that deal, too. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I loved that deal. It was a three-team deal with the Celtics and the Wizards. I loved it, one, because I thought that the Bulls got the best player in the trade in Daniel Tice. And I thought they got the best prospect in the trade, too, at the time. Daniel Gafford had kind of fallen out of Billy Donovan's rotation. And Troy Brown Jr. was a guy that I really had liked. I wasn't covering the NBA professionally back in 2018 I believe it was when he was drafted but I had been a fan of his ever since that time because of you know all the basic reasons why you can get enamored with a guy like that 6'6 wing-sized played point guard in high school ball skills and he's one of those 3 and D wing types where he's just missing the three and if that ever came around you know he's this tantalizing prospect so I was excited about his Bulls prospects For that reason, when he first came along, started out of the rotation, came along a little bit towards the end of that season, had an ankle injury uh, that ended his season early. And then he had an opportunity, I thought, to have a pretty sizable role for the Bulls off the bench. They were kind of missing, um, you know, in that reserve wing department, somebody to bring off the bench behind a DeMar DeRozan, a Patrick Williams before he got hurt. And the things that I think Troy, you know, we'll talk about why that maybe necessarily didn't happen. Consistency was an issue. But I think to start positive, the things that he does well. It, it, one, and I don't mean this in like a derogatory way or anything. He's a really good hustle guy. Like if you look at his rebound rate, steal rate per thirty six numbers, because he, he he was in and out of the rotation. You can't really take the per game numbers at face value. Um, he's really active uh, defensively. I think can kind of, you know, it's hard to say that he's a great individual defender or on ball defender, but he will have moments of production in terms of steals, not necessarily blocks, uh, but his activity is really good on that end, really good on the glass. Um, and he just kind of kind of has a knack for having his nose around plays. Um, so his best moments for the Bulls were probably when he was impacting games in that way. Um, even as an outside observer, I could see where that could be needed, um, you know, in terms of the Lakers rotation, uh, athletic guy, young guy. Um, i think he had his best three-point shooting season last year by percentage but historically that's been an inconsistent area for him uh and then i would say that there were moments where you could see kind of the ball handling and passing ability that had you know evaluators teams he's a lottery pick you know uh, you know interested in him as a first round type of prospect coming out of school that said it never was expanded enough that you necessarily felt like he was affecting games with it, there would just be, you know, a nice live dribble pass here or there. So still only 23. So a lot of these areas I'm talking flashes here, especially because of how limited his opportunities were. But in each of those areas, I think there's reason to, you know, if you're an optimist uh, buy into the potential upside there, if he does get um, a little bit more opportunity. So I would say, you know, to sum that up defensive activity, Um, and then I, you know, I still, I didn't work out with the bulls, but at 23 years old, I still think you could talk yourself into if he's a mid thirties, three point shooter, there's enough of a ball handling passing kind of, there's a vision there, um, that he could, you know, find some type of floor as an offensive player. Uh, at this point though, when he was making an impact at the NBA level, it really was more, you know, hustle plays and, uh, you know, defensive energy stuff.
0: Yeah. I, um, I kind of use this one website called b-ball index uh run by my yeah great site run by my pal uh on twitter cranges cranges mcbasketball uh but yeah i kind of use that site to kind of uh fill up some holes in terms of you know not be able to watch like film on all troy brown from uh chicago last year and yeah that was kind of what i saw in terms of kind of defensive activity not necessarily on ball defense per se but kind of off ball, uh poking the ball out, getting the ball going on transition, stuff like that. And uh from the clips I saw, uh it kind of seemed like he was able to do that. And yeah, like you said, take that playmaking ability and kind of, you know, transition it transition it to the transition. Uh and um be able to fill the break with Damar and Levine and uh Io guys like that. Um but yeah I Dude kinda noticed like, you know, he only had sixteen minutes per game last season. Um played six six games for the team. Uh in terms of what he brings to the Lakers, uh you said point of three point percentage. Yeah, he's kind of been around thirty percent like his entire career. But yeah, last season shot, thirty-five percent. Uh, I don't know if you know much about the Lakers shooting Wells last season, but I think that would like possibly, he'd probably be like slotted third best <laughs> on oh, the boy. team last season. Uh, oh, I think boy. that's, I think that might be double, uh, what Anthony Davis's three point percentage was last season. <laughs> um, but neither here nor there, uh, you point out his age, like that's kind of just like been what the Lakers have done across the board in terms of signing, uh, brought in Damian Jones. Um, like I said, Juan Toscano Anderson um Lonnie Walker so they've really gone to kind of transitioning to a a strong transition from the previous season of guys like Carmelo and Dwight Howard Mm -hmm. and DeAndre Jordan so I'm welcoming that for sure but yeah I do kind of like I was kind of looking at I'm like okay why is he like only playing 16 minutes per game for the Bulls and then kind of dive into it it seems like that even that was kind of inflated with the fact that um Bulls, like a lot of teams, kind of went through a huge COVID patch Yes, uh, during the season, and uh, a lot of injuries. Caruso was out for a bit. Um, let me see, who else was out for a bit? Lonzo, um, who else? Uh,
1: Lonzo, Lonzo missed a chunk of time. Patrick Williams Patrick basically Williams. missed the entire season, and there was a positional overlap there. I, I, you're right, the, the line share his opportunity did come at times where they were either COVID-plagued or... Uh, you know, a little bit injury plagued and that, that the the latter came into effect a little bit down the stretch of the season. He just, you know, I don't, I, for some reason, he just never quite broke into Billy Donovan's first circle of trust. Uh, Billy has always skewed, you know, he plays a lot of smaller lineups. He really loves, like the, even the Bulls coming into this season, have a really deep guard room, at least on paper. So you just saw them playing a, a little bit smaller and running with guys like, you know, IO Kobe, they played Caruso up a few positional slots playing the four Mm -hmm. a lot of times, especially in their uh, preferred closing lineup when they were fully healthy. Uh, And it just never, whether it was the shooting consistency, he was just never a a reliable enough of a spot up threat playing off of some of the more ball dominant guys Um, or defensively. You know, there's that there's some playmaking defensive playmaking stuff in there, but in terms of being, you know, a guy who can be a stopper on ball or be consistent enough to, you know, really break an rotation. It just never quite happened. Uh, there were too many games. I, I think this is something you could say about him. Just watching him over the course of a, a full season, even when he was out there, there were games where he could kind of fade in and out of the background of games. Yeah, um. So for whatever reason, it didn't quite work out there. But I, I do think the Lakers is an interesting opportunity only because his just energy, the athleticism. And the need there, um, you know, I could see it maybe being a little bit more of a snug fit role wise. Uh, he will just again, it's it all comes back to the jump shooting for me with him. I remember when he came over from Washington, digging into numbers a little bit and seeing he he shot some insane mid to high 40s percentage on corner threes with the Wizards one season and thinking there was something there again, just never quite panned out. Um, but, you know, he's the other thing I should say about him just in the limited time that I knew him and, you know, it was. Most of the time he was here was COVID. We weren't really in locker rooms, um, you Mm -hmm. know, reporters and media anyway. Uh, But he's a really gregarious, kind of personable guy, seems to be a hard worker, high character guy. Um, So I think for the segment of Lakers fans that really get in the weeds in terms of listening to player interviews, I think he does some vlogging on his YouTube channel, stuff like that. Um, He's an easy guy to root for. And, you know, when we're talking about making improvements – a lot of times it comes down to that. So um, again, I'm playing, I'm, I'm, I'm playing on the optimism here a little bit, Uh, but there is something there uh, with a guy like Troy Brown jr. That, you know, maybe he's a guy that's worth betting on making those improvements moving forward. The problem is he's been in the NBA. What four years at this point, and there are still a lot of question marks. That's why he's a guy who's available for the minimum, you know, even at age 23.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of the story with most of who the Lakers brought in and kind of some, Uh, People already on the roster. I mean, Brown and Lonnie Walker and even like Juan Descano Anderson to an extent and for sure, Taylor Horton Tucker, like they kind of have like these small flashes, um, small, but like, you know, intense flashes of what their potential could be. But like you said, like there's a reason like Lonnie Walker was available for the MLE. There's a reason Troy Brown and JTA were available for the vet minimum. Like they they have their um, they have their negatives. Um I'll let you probably like talk about those negatives a little bit more uh in this part. Uh would you would you possibly see him being able to have more of a role with the Lakers just in terms of I was kind of looking at the Bulls roster and it's kind of like okay like he's not going to play above Caruso. He's mm-hmm. not going to play above Lonzo. Um even if Patrick Williams was healthy well especially when he was healthy like he's not going to play above, above Patrick Williams like that's the Bulls highest draft pick in a bit like they got to invest in him and then it's like the two best team uh players on the on the team essentially play his exact position in Zach Levine and uh DeMar DeRozan Mm -hmm. whereas I could kind of see him having a bigger role with the Lakers because obviously Lakers two best players Anthony Davis he's essentially a center um LeBron I mean LeBron's a joke at this point just positionless monster uh but I'd say on offense he's generally the team's point guard um, do you kind of see him kind of having a bigger role uh, in terms of that? And do you think he could, you know, make an impact on that role? You know, it kind of gets dicey when a young player who doesn't really play too much is, you know, for us in that kind of situation, especially yeah, in L.A.
1: Totally. I, and I'm speaking as a little bit of a Lakers outsider, like don't don't necessarily know. The depth chart by heart but I yeah feel comfortable saying that they are more a thinner team than the Bulls last season even with the injuries that the Bulls endured and oh, last
0: last season Troy Brown would have been like the <laughs> like starting well, considering, one considering, of the best players
1: considering Stanley Johnson who the Bulls you know had in training camp mm-hmm. brought him back got COVID immediately kicked to the curb after that um was playing such a prominent role for my seat for the Lakers last year and he Now, granted, that was actually, I think, a a mistake that the Bulls made because they could have really used a player like him um, down the stretch. But tough to quibble too much when you're talking, you know, end of the bench guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, But and certainly at that wing position, that seems like an area that they're a little bit depleted after some of the moves over the last few years. So I definitely see uh, a bigger opportunity for him role wise, rotation wise um, in L.A. than there would be in Chicago. I'm sure he sees it as you know, a positive opportunity for that reason, because it's kind of there for the taking. Um, And then I just reiterate something um, I said earlier, a little bit offhand, but just another thing, just watching the Lakers games that I did last year uh, when it was bad, it seemed correct me if I'm wrong, like a little listless energy wise, like, and a a guy like him with the type of activity that he can inject into a game when it's all going right. I could see him, you know, endearing himself to the coaching staff, to the fan base, in that way, especially with the options that they have at their disposal. Um, Just the key for him is going to be offensively. I would imagine figuring out the best way to play off of the Lakers ball dominant guys, your LeBrons, your ADs being a little bit more of a spot up threat, being more of a consistent, you know, cutting and finishing threat. I think those things are probably going to be big for him because as much as the playmaking stuff is intriguing about him, even now, um, you know, a little bit into his career, Still intriguing when you can project him long term a little bit. I just don't know if that's what the Lakers necessarily need for from him. Um, but certainly when you break down the depth chart and just the type of player he is, uh, I could see him making uh, making an impact and, and definitely having more of uh, of an opportunity to to carve himself out a little bit of a niche there.
0: Yeah, funny you uh, bring up the Lakers depth chart and how you don't really know just on the outside looking in. I don't really know if Lakers fans uh, currently know what it's going (laughs) to be from the inside (laughs) looking out. uh, Considering they're they're one of the teams in the big old mess of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, that whole entire saga. Oh man, yeah, that's Um, right. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's still a couple roster spots open and who knows who's going to come in from a trade. Uh, who knows if Russell Westbrook's still will be on the team? It's a it's a big fat question mark right now. But uh, yeah, I meant to bring up that you kind of said you know, he's just, you know hardworking, enthusiastic. That's two things definitely that uh, the team was missing last year. Uh, like I said, I've kind of just been happy with the amount of youth. Uh, I know, like just looking at it, person's a person's age and being happy about that is kind of naive in the NBA world but yeah from last year uh, I will definitely take it and I'll take uh, all I can get of it Um, yeah and also kind of just saying like the hardworking aspect it kind of like lines up with uh, new head coach Darvin Ham what he's kind of preached ever since he came to the team Uh, like he's coming here to work um, and he kind of seems like he's going to challenge you know guys all the way at the top of the roster LeBron James all the way to the bottom so um yeah just in that regard Brown Brown kind of interests me as a guy who could kind of take that challenge uh and yeah like you said it kind of you know the type of impact he makes it's kind of gonna have to hinge on him staying at that same level of three-point shooting if not Mm -hmm. uh improving it a decent amount um but like I said he would have been one of the best three-point shooters on the Lakers last season but that's just you know that's what happens when you're you know, not a play in team. (laughs) Sadly, I can't that happens
1: still. And the other thing with the three point shooting too, you know, to a game, I think it was four and a half attempts per 36 volume wise to be guarded as a real threat. You know, he'll probably have to find ways to keep the percentage stable or even improve it while also bumping up his volume, especially if he's going to end up uh, in a larger rotation role. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a challenge um, in and of itself. And, you know, just consistency. I mean, I think that was a lot of the reason why he was never able to have a consistent role with the Bulls is you'd have, you know, a two for four game, a two for three game, um, you know, a, a one for two game or whatever, where, you know, the shots that he got uh, in the flow of the offense he made. But there'd also be, you know, your 0 for fives, your 0 for sixes, um, you know, interspersed throughout there, too. So, again, I think once you watch him on a night in, night out basis, those things kind of pop up more and more. Um, and even defensively you know for every you know great energy play that we could talk about there's also you know missed assignments or he's trailing on a play or something right. like that um and i think that kind of comes with the territory of one being a young player and two also just kind of he's he's one of those guys where you have to take into account the context of being on your rookie contract he was a lottery pick at one point struggling to stick on in washington traded on his rookie deal struggling to stick on in chicago i I would empathize with him just not quite having his feet under him, or getting his getting his sea legs kind of worked out in the NBA
0: in general. And I and I think I saw he was one of the guys that ended up getting COVID last year, or at least hitting the health and safety. Oh, the whole, the whole roster did.
1: So yeah, I think <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think I think and Pat was injured the whole time, so uh, there was no obligation, I guess, for the team to tell us, and I didn't hear anything about it. But I I believe Patrick Williams was the only player on the Bulls roster last year to not get it, one point or the other uh yeah. Tristan Thompson didn't get it while he was a bull I don't know if he had it before um and he came on after the uh all-star break but mm-hmm. yeah they were they they got about a, they got hit about as hard as you possibly could and they were one of the first teams to uh to get hit by it so that was an interesting time
0: yeah um well with that being said I definitely appreciate all the context on him um we'll see if he can kind of you know keep improving as a player and see if he can find a bigger role with the Lakers. Uh, mm-hmm. but with that being said, figured we talk about a couple Lakers that are a couple former Lakers, uh, that are now bulls and factor to be, you know, very important pieces for the bulls, uh, now and in the future, um, start off, uh, I'll start off with probably the more pessimistic story, uh, as it currently stands. and so then we can end on a good note. Um, Lonzo ball, uh, You'll have to kind of correct me on how his season kind of ended, uh, but it's still kind of uh, going on now with his knee problem. I believe I've read that it's categorized as a bone bone bruise, which Lakers fans will um, know that term very well. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, who came to the team last year, missed all 82 games uh, because of a bone bruise that we just kept getting constant updates on. And I'm like, I love Lonzo and I'm kind of getting really worried now that he might be on on a path going towards the same kind of result. Um, so kind of fill me in on like, what's the latest on his knee? And then like on a scale of one to 10 with, like, I don't know, 10 being like extreme dread, um, <laughs> where are you at with your worry on his knee and where do you see like the Bulls fan base on, uh, on that scale?
1: Yeah, so in terms of how his season ended, he basically was a obviously was the linchpin or one of the linchpins behind how successful they were at the start of last season. Either on Christmas or the day after Christmas, it was sometime in the last week of December. Uh got hit with COVID as, you know, th- as it ran through the team. Came back for the first part of January, and then I believe January fourteenth or fifteenth was the last game he played of the season. Uh or it ended up being the last game he played of the season. Uh, you know, was out for a stretch of time with I can't remember if it was knee soreness, knee discomfort, it was some nebulous knee uh, injury, and I believe it was in that left knee, which is the same one he had the MCL injury, right? In earlier in his career, um, he ended up or meniscus. Uh, I don't want I don't want to get that wrong, but it's it, I I'm actually thinking it's meniscus now that I'm uh, talking it out. Yeah, you're I'm right. Gonna,
0: it is the, it is the same knee? Like
1: either I, way. I always get those two things uh, screwed up. <laughs> um, so he, you know, was out for a time. They announced he was going to need surgery, but there was a bone, bone bruise, as you mentioned, in the knee also that was kind of, they had to prehab before the operation, basically. They ended up having the surgery two weeks or so after. Um, you know, he had the, you know, he was initially signed line, Supposed to be a six to eight week recovery timeline initially. He ends up missing the rest of the season. By all accounts, it was the bone bruise during the season that was affecting his uh, quote unquote ramp up um as he was trying to get back uh you know i've like we've seen lonzo since then like he, he's walking and everything like that but it was just when he would ramp up to full speed sprinting cutting lateral movement he just couldn't quite do it without pain or discomfort wasn't able to get back for the season Off season starts um you know there hasn't been word about anything related to another operation but the last update we got was from uh, Arturis Karnaschovas at, at Summer League. He talked on, I believe it was the N- NBA TV broadcast, and basically said what has been pretty obvious uh, as this thing has played out, which is that Lonzo is, quote-unquote, progressing. You know, he's he's getting better, but not at the speed that the Bulls want. And I think that, you know, obviously was pretty apparent by the fact that he didn't return in the six-to-eight-week timeline that they originally said. And entering the offseason was not fully healthy. Um, and, you know, the last we knew... He still isn't, and still was having trouble in terms of ramping up um, to full speed action. Uh, so what's unclear now is if if that bone bruise is still bothering him. I kind of assume that it is, and that's the thing that's continuing to get in the way. Um, and as again, as you guys know, you mentioned it with Kendrick Nunn. I, I believe I was looking into this that Lonzo actually had he had an ankle sprain or something in his, his second year with the Lakers, that ended up elongating, with, you know, due to a bone bruise in his ankle. So he's obviously mm-hmm. had this issue before in his career. Uh, I'm going to have a hard time getting up to like the eight to 10 range concern wise until camp opens preseason starts and he's still not out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'd put it at six, seven, uh, for it to be so shrouded in mystery, even at this point. Um, and then you combine that with how important he is to what the bulls do really on both ends of the floor. Um, he's not a guy that this team, that the, the Bulls can take a step forward this year without him. Mm-hmm. And not just without him, but without him at 100%. So the fact that that's still, by all accounts, he's not there yet makes me pretty pessimistic that he's going to be by the start of camp preseason. The season, you know, holding out hope, there's no point in speculating without, you know, any concrete information until we're able to get it. Uh, but I'd put myself just above average on the concern scale and ready to tip it into a red alert, you know. Once, uh, once camp and preseason start to get underway, if he, if he's still struggling with it, um, but yeah, people ask me all the time, like, what's the latest on It's The latest is, it doesn't seem like it's going that well <laughs> and, and, yeah. and you know, we'll see. And, you know, everyone's just trying not to get too alarmed until, you know, it's at the point where there's no choice to be alarmed. Uh, but in terms of the, the you know, the bulls fan pulse on it, I think. I, 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 you know, it's, it's hard to say it's not a monolith, but I, I would guess people are probably share my opinion where it's concerning. Try not to say it's the end of the world yet, uh, but definitely concerning when you consider the injury history, you know, how nebulous this specific injury is and then his importance to the team. It all combines to make it a pretty dark cloud hanging over the end of the bulls off season.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously him combined with like Caruso and others on the team, I feel like they, those two specifically were like the biggest part of how, you know, successful the bulls defense was like being disruptors on the perimeter. Um, yeah, I, I really hope, you know, I feel like media day can go one or two ways like for, uh, you and like the bulls fans, like that's going to be the, kind of the judgment day in terms of, you know, what he says, what Billy Donovan says, um, and like what they all kind of say on it. If there's still like some mystery on it, it's like, ah, shoot. Like, here we go. Um, and I,
1: I I should mention too, you know, wor- words are going to be big at, at Media Day and and as the we ramp up towards the season, actions matter too in respect to this stuff and the fact that they brought in Goran Dragic to a guard room that already had that already was kind of log jam. Kobe White, Lonzo, Caruso, um, you know, you go on down the line. Zach, obviously, um, who who is back after you know. Slight, uh Some slight speculation and rumors that were out there leading up to his free agency, but he is back. Um That signing, I think, set off a lot of people's alarm bells, too. The Dragish one, because he's a guy. It's a little unclear how much he has left in the tank, but he is a true point. He is a mm-hmm. vet. Um, and so, you know, I could see him having a role, even if Lance was healthy. But, you know, a guy of his stature, I would imagine, wants to go somewhere where he's going to play as much as possible. And... If the Bulls are looking for an insurance policy and he's looking for a place where, you know, that role could potentially be there for him. The fact that that kind of aligned with him being in Chicago while this Lonzo stuff is going on, that mm-hmm. I think kind of raised, you know, perked people's ears up as well.
0: Yeah, he can't really, um at least from what I know about Josh, like he's not going to provide what Lonzo can provide on the defensive end. But like you said, no. like he's a true point guard. He can control the offense. Um, shooting. You know, they they, they badly sort of needed level. to
1: improve. Yeah, they badly needed to improve their shooting. He's he's. You would think no matter what he has left in the tank, he'd be pretty reliable in that aspect. That's what Alonzo, man. You talk about the defense, and he was so transformational, you know, on the ball, super versatile. They were throwing him at ones through fours, and he was, he was pretty yeah. much holding up in any matchup. You put him in off the ball digging uh you know on drives getting in passing lanes sparking the fast break he's such a good transition playmaker Mm -hmm. um he was probably their best shooter uh honestly when you factor in zach's efficiency dropped off a little bit when he started struggling with his own knee stuff down the stretch of the season um they they really found a perfect balance of him wreaking havoc defensively he was such a key like you said to their to their scheme on that end and then offensively maximizing what i think his best spot or his best offensive skill is, which is spot up three point shooting, but also, you know, I know this was, or I assume this was a thing for him in new Orleans where he felt a little pigeonholed into that three and D role. He also got to be, you know, a little bit of a, of a true point, you know, when he was running out in transition and organizing, you know, guys Um, really, even though, you know, they had moments offensively down the stretch without him, they were just a considerably different team on both ends of the floor uh, without him and a considerably worse team.
0: Yeah um it's so funny that you're like talking about him as such a good three-point shooter he's absolutely night and day from like his rookie year and his second year i know uh, i can't think of his name but there's some coach with the pellet fred
1: vincent thank you fred vincent
0: Vincent. uh absolutely transformed his shot like not just like efficiently but physically it's just like completely different shot than what (laughs) what uh his ugly shot was like his rookie year and coming out of ucla but yeah, really hope he can kind of get over that bone bruise. Like I said, I, me and other Lakers fans know just from like Kendrick Dunn, it, those bone bruises can be like, you know, a couple weeks or they can just be an entire season. And I, I really hope it's much closer to that first thing I said uh, than that last. Because, yeah, like you said, he seems like such an important part of the Bulls. Um, transitioning to another important part of the Bulls, uh, Alex Caruso. Very sore subject for me. And for all Lakers fans, uh, I I like to call him uh, a lot of Bo- or So obviously, I'm from Chicago. I know a lot of Bulls fans. Uh, in 2020 and 2021, I always call him like one of the <laughs> some hyperbole on this, but I always ca- uh, not really. I call him one of the best role players of all time, just in terms of everything he does well is like everything you want out of a role player. Mm-hmm. Um, did Bulls fans kind of know? what they're getting with him when he signed there uh, or was there some shock just in terms of once he started playing so well, like I have some friends, like I said, friends that are Bulls fans and mostly it was them making fun of me that the Lakers cheaped out on him and not really like, you know, like acknowledging like, Oh, we got ourselves like a winner here. Uh, and then like a couple weeks in the season, they're like, okay, yeah, he's uh he's pretty good.
1: Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, there might have been, a small segment of people who saw that he got the basically the full MLE and it was four for 37 or 38, you know, averaging about a 9 million a year and it was another guard. There might've been a small segment of people that, you know, maybe hadn't seen him play or might've thought it was a slight overpay.
0: Uh, But I think there was, there was always the uh, like, he's on bleacher report far too much, which he was. And that kind of, you know, LA reputation where, you know, if you play for the Lakers, like who knows Troy Brown jr. Could be all over Bleacher Park for some reason next season.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I think guys, you know, perception wise, even if it's not real, get, get knocked for that sometimes. But I think the majority of people were instantly enamored with it because one, you know, if you look at the, you know, advanced numbers on it, he's one of, if not the best point of attack defender in the league, Mm -hmm. he's so good at navigating screens. I mean, that was instantly so apparent. Um, you know, when, once he started playing for the bulls and what was so impressive about the offseason that the bulls, you know, conducted when they got him and Lonzo and DeMar, they, the front office, uh, when I say they, I mean the front office identified really a bunch of key areas that the team had struggled in 2020, 21, when they traded for Vucevic, but still missed the play and and attacked them pretty directly. And one of them was point of attack defense. Uh, they play a pretty conventional pick and roll coverage that kind of drop zone, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but, you know, in terms of their guards, Zach Levine, Kobe White, um, you know, I'm trying to think of other guys that were in there. Tomas Sadoransky, uh, Garrett Temple was really the one player on that 2021 team that was really, really good at getting over screens and kind of bothering ball handlers in pick and roll coverage. They just didn't have the guys to play the type of scheme that best suits Vucevic as the as the center. Caruso and ball like instantly you have like two of the best, I don't know, five guys doing that yeah. in the league. Caruso especially so I think with the knowledge that was out there at least on Twitter because generally I think on Twitter you're dealing with uh you know a section of the fan base who are you know a little bit more uh, in the weeds you know educated on you know different metrics and stuff like that um so it was pretty apparent that he was going to help them defensively immediately you know if it was only for that reason um and then the season started and you know he was a part of this Patrick Williams was hurt but he ended up being a part of the Bulls preferred closing lineup with Lonzo Zach Mar, him basically functioning as the power forward, um, and Nikola Vucevic, like Lonzo, proved really, really versatile uh, in terms of defending. On the ball, obviously complete menace off of it. So smart, so cagey, mm-hmm. so physical. And yeah, I, honestly, he's another guy, and I think Lonzo is like this too, but a little bit in a different way. Size-wise, like you really take for granted how imposing he is for a guard when you're watching him on the screen, seeing him in person and on, on a nightly basis. Uh, It was a little different. So he was, especially when they were fully healthy, because he wasn't burdened offensively at all. He was really just empowered to be what he's best at, which is just an absolute, you know, havoc wreaker defensively. Another guy who, you know, when the Bulls are at their best, they were forcing a ton of turnovers. Uh, He sparked them a lot in that way. Uh, Obviously, I think Lakers fans would know this. He's not necessarily the best shot creator in a half court setting, but when he's running the floor, um, he's a pretty good passer, pretty good decision maker. Uh, quote unquote, here's another one of those cliches, quote unquote, sneaky, athletic. He's got those, you know, those dunks in his resume. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, Bulls fans especially love that. Uh, but yeah, he's just like that, you know, more cliches, but like blue collar, lunch pail, you know, taking charges, getting on the floor. Uh, he's that type of player and he instantly endeared himself to, you know, you go to, you go to any Bulls game, you'll see people with, you know, putting their babies in headbands, you know, with the little jerseys right, yeah. and stuff. Like he, he's that type of player. Um, another, like, yeah, I'm sure, really good. I'm dude. sure
0: he, I'm sure he brought to Chicago. But he loves the, he loves the headband celebration yep. uh, with his hands. He loves doing that.
1: What they started to do early in the season because they were such a devastating fast break team, especially like you got yeah. Lonzo and Caruso forcing turnovers, and then you got Zach Levine running the wing, just like dunking everything. It, it was really, it was really incredible to watch. And like and they, had the, they had the goggles celebration that they would do where they would put the, the little cups <laughs> yeah. over their eyes. Yeah. Um. So that was, I mean. Again, he was, you know, just a tremendously fun player. Um, You know, I think he got a little, you know, he had his own share of injuries issues. The the Grayson Allen thing obviously was not his fault, but was a pretty traumatizing thing for the team um, that put him out for a lot of the second half of the season. He came back early from that injury, got a little banged up again. I think if I could count them all off the top of my head, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to at various points last season, he had a hamstring injury, a foot injury. Back spasms. He obviously had the broken wrist, which it was on his shooting hand. So it affected, you know, pretty much everything he was doing offensively. So that was tough. Uh, Concussion ended his playoffs early. So uh, what's interesting, he's, he's talked, we had him on our podcast a few weeks ago. um, And he talked a little bit about, you know, wanting to work this offseason to strengthen his lower body and kind of mitigate some of those soft tissue injuries because he's a guy who played. 28 minutes a game last year I think that was by far what's the most he played for the Lakers like 21 22 something like that
0: yeah I was gonna say something like that like I think I think the uh 2020-21 season he probably played around like 25 and that was the most he had played
1: yeah so his and I think a big question with the signing was is he gonna be as productive playing 28 to 32 minutes a game and maybe closing games as he was as this kind of you know utility guy gadget guy for the Lakers unequivocally yes his production completely coincided with that increase in role uh but he just wasn't as durable um and I I think he's kind of acknowledged that and you know it'll be interesting to see him coming into this year because especially if there's a question with Lonzo's health they really 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 need Caruso Mm -hmm. healthy um I anticipate in kind of a super sixth man role where he's playing starter minutes but he starts coming off the bench because just that energy that he injects into a game um when he comes in is is really rare um and just the IQ. I mean, it's so hard not to run down the cliche gambit with him. But when you watch I mean, that's, it close, like that's kind of
0: that's kind of what goes into like me saying he's like one of the best role players of all time. Because like what I want for my role players is extreme hard work, uh, and then just make the right play at all times. Like it's hard to ask that, but like make the right play at like ninety five percent of the time, and he does it like hundred percent.
1: He generally does, and and he's like, and the media seats uh, at the Bulls arena I think are some of the best in the league. They're right on the court. And especially when the Bulls are defending at our end, you could see him calling out coverages. He's pushing guys into the right place on sideline out of bounds. He's, you know, calling out opponent sets and, you know, organizing guys. He's he's a total coach on the floor. Even when he was hurt, he was a dude who was like vocal in huddles. Um, obviously for a Bulls team. I mean, they really flamed out in the playoffs early. Obviously got a terrible matchup in the Bucks. Yeah. But, what are you, you going to do? <laughs> true. But there was a lot of talk leading up, you know, there are a lot of there, there are a lot of good vets on this team, but there are also a lot of young guys and even some older guys, Zach. That was his first playoffs. Um, Vooch, I don't think ever got out of the first round with Orlando. So to even have a due to his championship experience, like mm-hmm. you know, he was he was pretty integral in terms of now granted, they didn't step up to the challenge necessarily, but he, you know, was a, a very vocal part of preparing them for the challenge and the difference between postseason basketball and regular season basketball. Um, so I'll stop rambling on Caruso because I imagine most Lakers fans would have turned the podcast <laughs> off at this point. It would make me sick uh, if I was a Lakers fan, especially because, you know, you mentioned Lonzo. I mean, that one probably doesn't hurt as much because you got Anthony Davis back and you got a championship right, exactly. out of it. Uh, lose Caruso for nothing. And in fact, if you think of him as tangential to the Westbrook move, I mean, that's just, it, it's just brutal. And I know brutal. Bulls fans are petty. I'm sure they gave, I'm sure they're still <laughs> giving, you know, Lakers Twitter a hard time about that one, but, um. It is brutal, and then you know I mentioned at the beginning maybe a small section of people thought he could have been overpaid at one point. I mean, you look at that contract now, averaging nine million over yeah, yeah. three years. I mean, it's it's incredible value for uh, for everything that he brings.
0: Yeah, I was uh, going into that off season uh, last offseason. Obviously, I think um, not think I do know like the Lakers could have gave him any deal that they wanted to give him. Uh, yeah. Like they could have gone over the cap for him, and me like. I was kind of telling people, like, I would do, like, $12 million a year. Like, I think that's what I would do. Going over that, it's going to be a little too much. Like, I don't know, like, Crusoe being paid $15 million a year is kind of crazy. But I was like, I mean, like, everyone was saying, like, it's a no-brainer. Bring him back. Like, come on now. And then, yeah, just seeing reports after him on uh, uh, J.J. Reddick's podcast, talking to, like, J.J. trying to pull out of him what the Lakers were offering. And uh, he was saying, you know, like, Oh, I would have taken less to go to the Lakers. I was agreeing to take less. And it's just like, just oh, stabbing in the heart, basically. Um, but, you know, like I said, I me personally, I'm from Chicago. Uh, I, you know, if he was going to go to anywhere, it was honestly kind of weird that he ended up going to the Bulls. I mean, not weird in terms of, you know, they definitely could have used a player like him. But just seeing the alert come on my phone that. Caruso signed a signed a deal with the Bulls. I was like, okay, here we go. My phone's about to blow up with a bunch of texts from every person I know. But yeah, it me personally, if he went to if he's gonna go anywhere, I'm kinda glad he went to the Bulls. Um, so yeah, just to wrap up, uh, I kind of was listening to Bulls talk the other day. Uh, I'm not sure when it was. It was one of your most recent kind of pods, other than the Scottie Pippen one. Uh, but kind of wanted to get like uh what you think the Bulls are gonna. You know, your expectations for the Bulls this season, you think they're kind of going to stay around where they were last season in terms of um just, you know, where they finished in the seeding? Do uh, you think they might have some improvements? I know they got, um like you said, Drogic, and then they've got uh, another former Laker, uh, yeah. albeit short-lived, uh, Andre yeah. Drummond, to kind of help with the kind of big man defensive issues that they kind of had last season. So what are your kind of, uh what's your outlook on what their season might be this year?
1: Obviously a lot of it depends on Lonzo's health um, Right. because with him healthy, I could see them, you know, vying for a top four seed. I, I wouldn't call them a favorite to do that, but in terms of a, a regular season team, um, you know, they were at the top of the conference up to halfway through last season uh, playing the way that they were uh, with the personnel that they had. So the, the problem is in our Lonzo section, we talked about, I'm pretty pessimistic that that is actually going to play out. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, you know, they were the sixth seed last year, 46 wins. I kind of expect something similar uh, this year. I understood, you know, I understand the the approach from the front office. They wanted to prioritize continuity. They don't want to just flip over the roster every year, hope for better health. You would think with Lonzo playing less than half the season, Caruso playing half the season, uh, you would think there's no way they couldn't have better health this year. But again, there's so many question marks with Lonzo that, you know, you have to, kind of hold out before assuming that um but yeah i'm i'm kind of assuming a similar kind of finish from them i just think i think philly had a sneaky pretty great offseason on the margins boston obviously had a couple high profile pickups uh gallinari i actually you know i get it It would have been an imperfect fit with the bulls but he they were kind of the second place finisher for him to boston um so they make that add them add brogdon milwaukee uh, you know for all we know, they could have been in the finals and could have beaten Golden State if Middleton uh, is healthy last year. So I see them as pretty firmly ed. Yeah. Uh Miami didn't get any worse. Um, and they uh, not only were they you know the one seed in the East last year. Obviously, they particularly owned the Bulls uh, or at least mm. did last year. Um, you know there were plenty of stats floating around about how much the Bulls struggled with kind of the top tier competition in the East as the season wore along. So I just I just can't reasonably say that they even in a regular season setting are going to jump any of those four teams. Uh, And then, you know, you've got Toronto who, again, I don't think got any worse. They got a lot of young guys that are going to develop. So I see bulls kind of in that five to six range. Um, And then, you know, you got Atlanta coming up. Uh, You got, you got, you got teams that are coming up from behind them too. So I did, you know, to not be too pessimistic and to not be too optimistic, I probably see them as slot in sixth and, you know, And from that stage, not being in a home court advantage position and potentially having to play in one of those top four teams, it could be a first round exit again. Um, You know, don't want to, again, be too pessimistic, but that's just kind of realistically where I see them now. Uh, And then if that happens again, and I think that would mark a little bit of a stag stagnation from where they were last year after such improvements, uh, it would be kind of look in the mirror time in terms of how the roster is constructed, what they're prioritizing, Mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. But that's why you play the games. And, uh, you know, still a couple months, a couple weeks until training camp starts and uh, we'll see how Lonzo looks.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, I'm rooting for, you know, Lonzo, Caruso. Um, I do generally like the Bulls. Uh, they, you know, they're in the Eastern Conference, so they don't really have much of uh, a rivalry or any sort of thing like that uh, with the Lakers, unless uh, you want to get really deep into the uh, daytime talk show part of it in terms of uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron, but. I don't really, yeah. I I don't really partake in that sort of nonsense. But other than that, I you know it's hard. It's hard for me to not like the Bulls, especially with you know the guys that they got on the team. Well,
1: well I'll, t- I'll tell you what: the two games that they played against the Lakers last year, I was at the one at home. I was not on the, at the one on the West Coast. Those were two of the you know Bulls' more exciting wins of the first half of last season. Mm-hmm. I, that was kind of before we knew how much of a dumpster fire the Lakers truly were. I think Anthony Davis <laughs> was still healthy at that point. There, um, there was still
0: there was still a sliver of hope for sure at that point. Yeah.
1: So, uh, so whenever those teams play, you know, especially now that the bulls are kind of back to a level of respectability, uh, it seems like it's always, you know, a pretty entertaining contest and, uh, you know, good for us media types that, uh, there's all these enduring storylines with Lonzo Caruso. I Mm -hmm. I completely forgotten too that Drummond was a former Laker. Uh, I don't think too many (laughs) Laker fans are probably as envious of that pickup as the, as the Caruso one, but, um, yeah, it'll certainly be a fun season. I I always look forward to when those two teams play.
0: Yeah, uh, I've gone to the Lakers Bulls game like in Chicago. I think three years, maybe four years in a row. Um, we'll definitely be doing it again. But yeah, it's it always kind of feels. I've, I go to like you know maybe one other Bulls game like in the season. It always kind of feels like there's a little bit more energy in the air uh, when the Lakers come to town. But which I can assume for every every city because was uh. I'll just say those fairweather Lakers fans can pop up in, uh, in any city. It's kind of surprising when you start looking around and start seeing a bunch of yellow. Um, it's the red. Um, but yeah, I'll go to wrap up there. Um, thanks to everyone listening uh, to the Lakers outsiders podcast. Um, if you want to check out Rob's work, he uh, hosts the bulls talk podcast uh, on um, the NBC, NBC Chicago network um rob is there anywhere else uh that we can find your work yeah just yeah
1: like you said mbcsportschicago.com uh my twitter is at rob underscore schaef s-c-h-a-e-f uh yeah bulls talk podcast feed uh it's myself uh casey johnson most weeks uh who's been around mm-hmm. obviously the bulls beat forever yeah uh, we have a good time over there so uh yeah if uh any Lakers fans out there are interested in, you know, or any Laker fan masochists are interested in keeping up with uh, Caruso and ball and all their old friends. uh, You can check me out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll be listening for sure. Um, But yeah, super appreciate you coming. Uh, Super appreciate everyone listening. Uh, We'll see you guys next time on the next podcast. Uh, But again, thank you, Rob. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time.